This is the Shift Podcast. On the Shift Daily Podcast today, we take a look at Canada's best modern poets. We keep chatting with more and more of them. And I love the conversation. Shane Coison is our guest. He explores his battles with his mental health, especially during COVID, performing during the pandemic, and dealing with heartbreak. Tech expert Andy Barrar chats with us how difficult it can be to do anything DIY these days. Why? Because the price of lumber, it's high, really high, although some advice on how you can use things like pallets to make ends meet. He also chats about his amazing robotic lawnmower as well. Plus, are you okay with Russian made-for-TV Lord of the Rings movie? Or how about Helen Mirren fighting off a bear? All of this and more a part of the Shift Daily Podcast. It was one of your text messages that inspired this conversation to bring Shane Coison here onto the shift. Uh, Shane, thanks for taking some time to connect with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Shane is uh, from BC, but he's toured all over and um, and he's a poet. And as part of our conversation with Canadian poets and poets in general, we really wanted to introduce you to some of these people that uh, seem to, as I was told uh, by my buddy Forrest Black, to reorganize the dictionary in a way that changes our lives. And, uh, and that th- he's one, this is one of the, the guys who, who's done that. Now, Shane, we, we've, we've chat- chatted before and, uh, I have seen Shane perform live in Calgary. Um, how you doing? How you hanging in there, buddy? Um, it, it's the elevator business, you know, there's ups and downs, um, especially during this, pandemic riddled world that we we find ourselves in so uh, highs and lows you know the highs are obviously you know the connections you have with you know people personally your friends your family Um, and the lows are just these incredibly desolate stretches of highway on 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 something that just sort of keeps moving further and further along we we're not sure whether you know when the final destination is going to sort of we're going to pass that line and everything will be back to what, you know, we consider normal. Yeah. And then that does raise the question, what is normal anyway? And did we like it? Um, right. So I think that you, you speak of that, that desolate highway. Many of our nighttime listeners who are drivers can most certainly relate to that place of, you know, being alone. And some people love that place. Some people love that place when they can choose that place, but some people don't necessarily love that place when it's forced upon them. Um, how has it been for you? You had shared before we chatted here, it's been a, the longest number of days <laughs> alone has been quite staggering. Um, can you share that part? Yeah, I, 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 I guess at its peak, I spent 107 days alone, which is just, it was not good for my mental health, obviously had a serious crash and just, you know, there's, there's things that there's deficiencies that we suffer that we we, we don't even really realize, you know, whether that's our relationships, our personal relationships, friendships, family, things like that. Even, even things like touch, you know, to me, I, one of the things I discovered along this sort of, you know, the times we find ourselves in is that touch is a vitamin. Oh, it is. You know? What's that? It totally is. I get that. Yeah. It's just one of those things that it's like, you know, you don't, you didn't knew, know you needed it until you, you really felt the absence of it. You know, it's like, I've always been kind of an introvert, you know, but I go out and I do, you know, I tour, I do these really big shows and, you know, I spend time with audiences and I like being out in the world and I like traveling, but I also like that time to come back and sort of, you know, decompress. 
and it feels like I've been in this decompression chamber for, you know, the same with everybody else over a year. And it's just, uh, it's getting really difficult because, you know, as an artist, you, you, you have to make your own path. You know, you, you, there's no clear path in guidance counselors hate the arts because they don't know how to, you know, tell a kid here, here's how to succeed yeah. in the arts. There's no clear strategy. If you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, there's clear strategies. Here are the classes you want, the grades you need, schools you want to go to, arts, break up the machete and see, see what kind of path you can make for yourself. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's just a troubling time for, you know, where the arts finds itself. There's a, there's a venue in Vancouver called the Rio Theater, and they have to operate as a sports bar now, you know, just to keep their doors open and allow, you know, allow people to come in and, you know, support their business. So the arts finds itself in a very precarious position of, you know, being laid upon the altar of sacrifice again, even though it's one of those elements that, you know, gives so much to our mental health the song that gets you through a tough day, the painting that brings you a sense of calm, the the poem that, you know, like, I mean, relates something you, you didn't know you needed, whatever it is, there, we lean on the arts. It's a salve for our mental health. And right now it's in danger. Um, so it's it's been a pretty tough year. You said machete there, and that got me thinking because I have this piece that uh, I just recently wrote that was... Um, if you want to learn how to be a writer, gather these things, pen, paper, and a chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, in a lot of ways, that's true. Like, I think arts across the board is kind of that experience. You know, um, it's, it's one thing that you're, you're almost actively talked out of in school. You know, I remember my guidance counselor just, so, you know, it's the moment you say you want to be an artist, you want to be a writer, there's that heavy sigh and the shake of the head. You know, how do I break it to this kid that, oh, you're, you're in for tough times, you know, but <laughs> rewarding times too. I think that's one of the things that people forget when they talk about the arts is what the arts give us, whether we create it or whether we're just observers of it. Mm -hmm. You know, art gives us something. Um, and it, it, it's it been really hard to find it. Um, you know, when, when you sink into a depression, the last thing you want, it's kind of like insomnia. You know, you you can go to work with insomnia, but are you really being productive? With depression, it's kind of that same thing. It's like, I don't really feel like I'm in the mood to be creative. I can do it, but... You know, there's something missing. My heart's not there. I just, you know, I'm more focused on on my despair, which is a really hard place to be in because it just sort of amplifies that more and more. You sort of reinforce it, and it becomes this echo that starts bouncing around in your brain. Um, so that's that's been my experience with this year. I want it to be over, but the finish line just keeps moving. We, you know, we can't seem to get it under control. Well, let's talk about those. Um, I have so many questions here. <laughs> let's talk about those venues because I mean, you do, you've had quite, you know, quite great success and, and you do big shows. Um, you know, although your coffee house storytelling is, is fun from time to time. Um, the reality is, is that, you know, the Jack Singer concert hall and those kinds of things uh, that are full, 
you know, are certainly on your or list of, uh, you know, uh, schedule of events. So h- how do you how do you see this? This is incredibly difficult to um, to navigate in the future because, you know, to to your earlier point, I mean, this is not ending anytime soon. And at the right. same time, the ending of it looks different than we've always known anyway. Right. We we don't necessarily know what live shows are going to look like when they come back in the first place. And I think one of the things that people aren't really thinking about is the the bottleneck effect that artists are going to experience when when live shows do come back with these venues. Because, you know, uh, living in Vancouver, there was a, when I was living in Vancouver, there uh, there was almost this attack on venues, you know, where it's like more and more of them got shut down. And now we have so few spaces that when live shows do come back, how many artists are going to be clamoring to sort of get those spaces and how many are going to be left in the waiting line and how, how many can afford to wait? Um, you know, if, if it's what you do for a living, which is, you know, the case for me, um, it, it puts you in a really tight squeeze and, you know, are venues going to be coming back and giving priority to, you know, the people they had booked beforehand that, you know, they had to cancel all these shows or is it going to be given to, you know, the really marquee names yeah. and all the sort of fledgling artists or the newer voices are going to have to line up behind that. And who knows when they're going to get a shot at it. Um, tough, tough to figure out what to do uh, in this situation. And, you know, we have this, you know, the, the new world of technology where we can, you know, we can reach out, we can do shows through uh, uh, groups like Side Door you know, which is an app that's been doing amazing work for to host, you know, sort of live concerts online and stuff like that. But it's really hard for me. I've tried to do one and it's just, it's, you miss that electricity and there's something being taken away. And it, you know, it's hard to do because everything becomes two dimensional. And, and that's kind of the world we're living in right now. We can see each other, we can talk to each other, we can connect with each other. But everything's two-dimensional, and we've gotten into this habit of looking at the world through, you know, this sort of, like, flat lens, where I think it's, in some ways, it's kind of damaging our empathy. Because, you know, it used to be you could just have a conversation with somebody, and at the end of the conversation, you could realize, okay, yeah, we, we, may, we may disagree, but that person's a human, I'm a human, it's okay, we're fine. Whereas now we have this world where, you know, people will just turn off where there's these, you know, sort of basement keyboard warriors that that think what they say online is, you know, the the attacks they make, whether it's trolling or, or whatnot, aren't having serious effects with people who are who are going through extraordinarily dark times, whether they're, you know, essential workers having to, you know, like, I mean, putting their bodies and their lives on the line for the sake of us. Um, this is just a lot to consider. And I think we've stopped considering other people, you know, living in this two dimensional world, we're kind of like, well, everything is just sort of flat and nothing's quite real. This is how we engage with one another now. And it's that Coliseum mentality where, you know, if, you can cheer for somebody getting eaten by the lion as long as you're doing it in a crowd, right? Yeah. It gives you permission to get away with it. As long as there's a wall in between or a cage. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I get that. You you speak of that um, connection that 
electricity and everything else. And after seeing you, um, you know, present in person, one of the, the things that for me that struck me the most is the ability you have to stay present to the words that you've created and the place that they take you. Now, the stuff that I saw was um, the stories about your grandmother. Okay, right. And when your grandmother had passed away and you wrote uh, about that, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but your grandmother was one of the biggest influences in your life always, like your your rock. Um, uh, absolutely. She was, you know, it, it's weird because I, I, I live with paranoia, which is, you know, it's, it sounds like such a cute thing to a lot of people. It's like, oh, you're paranoid. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of a nothing thing, but I don't think people take into account how, how crippling it can be because what happens is your, your mind is creating narratives, you know, and it's so it's hard to talk yourself out of them. So what my grandmother did for me, why she was so important to me, she was literally my compass, you know, she could set my compass to true um, with, you know, like just conversations where <clears throat> it sounds simple, but it's like you, I could tell her something and she could just put that spin on it of like, is that really what's happening? Or is it maybe this? And it just sort of opened that up. And so without her, it, you know, it, like being lost at sea. Um, so it was a really tough time. So, yeah. Your ability to stand there and share the stories about your grandmother. I mean, and I will describe how I saw it anyway and how the crowd that I was with saw it. I mean, this is a, a gentleman who's standing on a stage by himself with a microphone and, and sort of an iPad to scroll, kind of like a, an old school music stand with notes, but an iPad to scroll through the notes and scripts and whatnot. And, um, and then watching Shane stand up there and read something, get emotional. And this is a, a, a human that's standing on a stage in front of hundreds of people. I mean, you have tears and, um, and you stop and you just stay with it. Sometimes there was a sigh. Sometimes there wasn't. And then there was often a Kleenex to sort of dab up tears or whatnot. And then a reset to here we are. And that that's really where I get your story where you share about the two-dimensional world that we're in. Um, kind of like the social media world coming to life um, and 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 being able to be there. Has it taken you... Is it an exercise to be able to stand there in that? Or is that one of those lucky skills that you've been able to um, inherit in life? I think it's something that, you know, I I grew up in Yellowknife and, you know, we, we didn't have, I think we had one television station. I think we had CBC, maybe that was it. Um, so I grew up in this uh, storytelling community, um, you know, where it was very much that sit around the kitchen table, tell stories, tell jokes. And, and I think that affected me pretty early on. And one of the things I've always been able to do, I guess, fairly well is just remind myself every time I'm doing a show of, you know, putting yourself back in that space. Where was I when I wrote this? What was I going through at that time? And when you ground yourself to those emotions, it, it opens, it's kind of like opening a vein, which is not something, you know, you necessarily want to do on stage. Uh, but, I, but I think, you know, one of the gifts that poetry is, has given me or has provided me is connection with other people. And one of the, you know, you, you can suffer alone or you can suffer together. 
you know, and there's this weird contrast right now with that's exactly what we're going through alone together. Um, it's, it's something we're all going through. And I think when I was going through the grieving process about my grandmother, there was just so much connection to other people, you know, audiences, people who've lost other people, everybody knows what it's like. And if you don't yet, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry to say it, but you, you'll experience it eventually and it'll be tough. It'll be a weight you've never felt before. It's not something you can really put into. There's that physical sense of, you know, I've always hated that term heartbroken because I don't think hearts necessarily break. I think they bend. I think they get bruised, but you feel it physically when you're in that kind of pain, it is a physical pain to be, to be grieving, um, to be hit, to be wounded in that way. You know, you, the, I guess we consider the heart, the seat of our emotion. And so when I was going through what I was going through, I felt it so much. Everything felt like such a, such a pain, such a chore, such a, you know, another day to get through. There were days I didn't want to wake up. Um, I'm not really sure that I'm explaining myself the best. That's great. I think it's fantastic. I got to tell you. Um, well, how important is it to be with that? I mean, because you're speaking to the you know heartbreak. Uh, it is a nice, easy yeah. word to, to describe it. Um, and I've seen you do it on stage. I can feel it in your writing. Anybody who's read your stuff goes, wow, this guy's really sharing his thing here. Um, and so, but how important is that as a person? Do you think that to do that, to be present to it, stay with it. But then at the same time, you know, I still want to say what it is. You also step away from it, right? Like you're with it, you create it, you're present to it, and then you step away from it. And to me, that seems incredibly important. Uh, where does that land for you? Yeah, I think one of the things you have to, you can't dwell there forever, right? As much as you, it's one of the gifts that I don't think people, you know, really appreciate about about their lives is our ability to feel things, you know, and, and not you, that it's the trade-off. If you, if you want to experience the highs, you, you have to go through the lows as well. You know, we don't get to pick and it's not a salad bar. You don't get to pick and choose your emotions. You have to feel the ones that, that come to you. And so that's always been really important to me, but I, I absolutely agree that you need those moments to step away from it because you can't exist in those spaces forever. You know, you can, you can kind of touch them. Um, and, but then you have, you have to let them go again. You know, there, there's that expression, you know, the pursuit of happiness. Well, they call it that because happiness doesn't stand still. We have to chase it. We may get to touch it from time to time, but it's going to keep going. It's going to run it off in another direction. And it, it won't be this constant thing in our lives. And so I've really started to see, you know, the sort of nature of gravity in the way our emotions work. You know, a lot of the times we're sort of floating around in this sort of weightless thing. Despair is the floor that we touch, joy being the ceiling. And we sort of exist bouncing between the, that space. Um, being pulled from one thing to the next, you know, sometimes there's greater gravity in joy. If we meet someone new um, and then there are those other moments of loss where it pulls us down to the floor. And so I think it's important to, 
be open to those feelings when they happen. It's, it's part of the magic of living. Yeah, sometimes it sucks. Sometimes the emotions are terrible, but sometimes they're wonderful. So it's that trade-off. And if you want to feel one, you have to experience the other. And that's just, you know, that sort of sad state of things. All we're trying to do, every one of us is trying to find a balance. I've never asked you this. And as it occurs to me now, um, I wish I had. Uh, what was your grandmother's name? Loretta Yvonne Mozart. Her uh, maiden name was Sinclair. Well, Grandma Loretta, um, quite the uh, quite the woman. I wish I could have met her. I, I, you know, I wish that too. It was so weird because she was so sort of cloistered off, but she was such a loud, brilliant personality. You know, when she did go out, it, it was that you know she was she was the life. But you know, she could do she could hold that energy for so long, and then she, she was kind of like me. She'd have to come back and sort of, all right, introvert alone recharge um and maybe that's where i get that from i'm not sure but yeah i would have loved for more people to have met her you know i'm very lucky in that you know the friends that i have that that did know her um because you know i can still have those conversations and and keep those memories fresh the basement in my attic uh most recent work from you uh can you tell us about it um, the basement of my attic. Yeah, it was just sort of a, another collection of poems that was, that came from, you know, this idea of these dark things that we carry around, um, with us, you know, in our psyche and, and, and things like that. And, you know, I say, I say that realizing that I went through the book the other day and there's actually quite a bit of levity in there too. So, <laughs> you know, as, as much as I was, you know, trying to drag these trunks out from the attic. And sort of, you know, give them their moment in the, in the light. Um, I, I realized that, you know, God, there's, you know, as much as there's that chiaroscuro effect. Yeah. Well, you are funny so, though. Like in all fairness, when you do your stage stuff, like there are some very funny moments. That you know, it's one of those things that you know, I, I don't think people necessarily expect when they come to a poetry show, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of, a lot of people, you know, when they find out they're going to a poetry, they're like, Oh God, yeah. you know, there's that moment of like, I'm going to be trapped in here for an hour listening to poetry. There's that, there's that fear. And so one of the things I try to do is, is bring levity to a lot of it. And, you know, I like humor. I like to laugh. You know, my sense of humor is a little dark, especially these days considering, but, you know, Charlie Chaplin said that, you know, uh, laughter sharpens our sense of survival and preserves our sanity. And, you know, the things that we go through, um, the dark things that we go through, the heavy things we go through, wouldn't be bearable without, you know, that that edge of the relief of humor. Hmm. You know, it's kind of a pressure valve for a lot of us. Um, so I'm always trying to, you know, add that into the work just to give people safe spaces to land because we you know we talk about some pretty dark things shane coisen canadian poet now your last name is hard to spell so here's what you got to do you got to google just uh google poet shane k or canadian poet shane k 
Um, and you, it's going to come up. It's probably going to come up before you get to the Koizen, because I promise you it's not going to say Hewitt, which is funny, by the way. I don't know if you read some of the email threads between Ryan and Christy, but I said to Ryan, I finally said, I said, look, you're going to have to either start referring to me as Shane H and him as Shane K or my Shane and your Shane, because this is getting really unclear in the communication. It was great. Yeah, it's already a tough name. You know, it's it, people are like, they give me, well, not grief about my last name, but there's, I've heard all kinds of pronunciations. But surprisingly, it's more the first name. You would not believe how many times I get called Sean. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'll tell you a quick story. Charles Adler, who does the show before me, um, yeah. he still calls me Sean from time to time. I've worked with him for a couple of years now and done his show. So, oh, well. So it goes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's time to mention it or not, but uh, the most recent book that I put out is a book called Inconvenient Skin, which is it it explores Canada's history with residential schools. Um, It was it was kind of inspired a little bit by, you know, what what my dad went through. Um, also from an art show that I experienced here in, in Penticton. But we we recently just won the Code Bird Award for uh, Indigenous uh, Translation um, in Literature. So just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, thank you for doing that. Um, and you know what? I would, in fact, as we get into more of that conversation here on The Shift this summer, which is on our list of things to do, uh, my thought was is that we'll bring you back. We'll understand what it is that you wrote from. And use that, I think, as a little bit of a, uh, I don't want to say translation, but maybe translation from people who might not understand some of the school story and um, and then get into some of the topics of the impacts of on people. So I think that's a great idea. And if, if you'll if you'll accept, we'll, we'll, we'll gladly bring Shane Koizen back, not only about you know the work you do, but the, the connection of this work and what it created. Thanks so much. Yeah, I'd love that. All right, check out Shane Coison. Uh, it is ShaneCoison.com, but again, uh, Canada poet Shane K. You're going to find him real quick. Uh, it is K-O-Y-C-Z-A-N. Um, Shane, I, I really appreciate you, man. Thanks for being here. Shane, I really appreciate you, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's the Shift Podcast. A text message from Doug at 877-399-9898 says this. I am so stoked that you're speaking with Shane Coison on the shift coming up, but I'm torn. I have company arriving momentarily. And while I do pledge allegiance to the court of the shift heads and use both my lords and typo to, I think this shift head is due for some company. And the shift is not the most conducive listening for the mood I'm aiming for tonight. Sorry, no offense, but I'm tapping out. Much love, Doug. Well, Doug, if you stick around on the shift tonight, we're going to make sure we create that mood you're looking for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Doug. You welcome over your company, and we promise you... The best air quotes night of your life. That's right, baby. Shane Coison <laughs> is coming out next hour of the shift. <laughs> Dougie's looking for some love. All right, Shane Coison's coming out, but it's next hour, Doug. So let's be honest. 
You'll be done. You can come back. Uh, Thanks for listening to The Shift and thanks for your text messages. Speaking of uh, sexy, Disco Andy is here. Am I on the right show right now? (laughs) I think I'm on the wrong late night channel. We're all trying to make sure everyone gets the love they're looking for here on The Shift, buddy. That's what we do. Um. Andy, Andy Barrar is here. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not getting any love. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I haven't done my Barry White voice in a long time. So, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe you got one. I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> uh, how are you? How was your uh, How was your Easter weekend, brother? Uh, my Easter weekend was pretty good. I spent it at home. I cleaned my gutters. I did everything that you're supposed to do when spring is coming, you know, like all mm-hmm. those things off the checklist. Uh, so my yard, <laughs> I'm telling you, it looks fantastic. I don't know if I told you this, but I have a robotic lawnmower. Did I ever tell you that? Nope. It's called the Husqvarna Automower. It is the best piece of technology that I've ever, ever had. Okay. It, wow. It's like a Roomba for your backyard. And because I don't have to cut the lawn, now I still have to do the weed eating. You have to do the edging around like mm-hmm. the fence. But it, it, it cuts the lawn. It doesn't even cut the, like, it just trims it a little bit and then it turns into fertilizer. So now that I'm not cutting it, I just, Shane, I reseed my lawn like three times a year now, just trying to create that like golf course because I'm like, before it was like, oh, I don't want to have to cut it again. But now I'm like on my phone, just okay, auto mower, go ahead and cut it. This thing is amazing. It, you know what? I will make a video and we can talk about it like in a, in a couple of weeks, but I will make I like a this. video at how good it cuts a lawn. It, it's worth every penny um, for anybody out there that needs a, a lawnmower that doesn't want to cut their lawn, the yeah. auto mower. I should be the spokesperson for this. Uh, My lawn is I, about, yeah. it's about 10 feet by eight feet. Okay, well, this is not for you then. This is definitely not for you. <laughs> you know what it's for? It's for somebody that has a lawn that is really hard to cut it, like with a traditional lawnmower, but not big enough to get one that you could like sit on. So some mm. somewhere in the middle, I'm telling you, the auto. I used to have just, one of those. I used oh. to have one of those random lawnmowers. It was like a dream of mine, and it's, uh, it's I got a, a dream flat of tire. Guys. Yeah, no, it is. Beer. It totally is. And I did, and then it got a flat tire, and I needed to get the tire fixed. And so uh, my ex-wife, clearly for a reason now, this is one of the reasons, um, she gave it away. She gave your mower away? Yeah. Wow. I know, and all I had was a flat? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, anyway, that didn't work out. Uh, here we are, speaking of uh, getting things done in the springtime, uh, as Doug is getting his springtime work done, and... Um, and, uh, oh, a uh, texter from Steve says, how loud is it? Is it loud? Your lawnmower. <laughs> Not the oh, spring. My lawn- oh, sorry. I, I thought you were talking about the mic. <laughs> the mic. I'm like, I don't know. my mic volume too loud? Am I talking too loud? Uh, no, it's not loud. This is the thing. It is so quiet. It even has headlights. So at nighttime, when it, when it gets dusk, the headlights turn on. And when it was funny, when I first got it, People were in the front of my lawn taking pictures of my lawnmower. It was really creeping me out. I'm like, what's going on? But they're making little videos. Like they couldn't believe it. Even has safety features. If you try to steal it, a big alarm comes on it and and it's got a GPS chip inside. So if someone steals it, you can track them on the phone, call the police and go and knock on that person's door. Like 
They figured it all That's out. Fun. It's the best. It's the best. Like I have been reviewing technology for 10 years and it was robotic lawnmower that stole my heart. And, and to this day, it's the, I even, oh, I got to show you a picture. I built a custom doghouse for it. So it's like a little garage. It's like my own like night rider, right? It's got its own little pad. <laughs> my it's, own night rider. Okay, I'm I'm put a little, okay. Put a little in, LED future, on the front in a future segment, I will I will make a video because it, it's okay. so awesome. All right. Uh, do DIY projects, technology, and more at handyandymedia.com if you want to check out Andy's stuff. Uh do just that. Now, Andy, the conversation about DIY, uh, there's an awful lot going on in, in the world of wood. And uh, we're not still not talking about Doug, but the. Um... <laughs> Matt, I love okay? that. Great, great. I saw what you did are you, there. Are you okay, Maddie? I think Maddie just about fell over. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> um, the wood is like triple price right now, and I I had to go pick up a couple of pieces from the Home Depot. Uh, today, so I went and got myself some stuff for the 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 office reno thing that's going on, and. I did verify. Now, things like plywood weren't a whole lot more expensive. It seemed like 60 bucks a sheet for a good, you know, three quarter or one inch, like a high quality plywood was about the same. But when it came to boards, it was like $9 for an eight, uh, eight foot one by six sort of decorative fence board kind of, kind of board. So, uh, tell us what's going on in the world of wood. Well, so here's what happened. Back last year when we, the pandemic started, like everything shut down including the mills. So all the mills just had to shut down. Then slowly things started to rev up and the mills started to open up. But at the same time, everybody is sitting at home going, you know, it's about time we put that backyard deck or get that extension to the house because we're at home. We might as well start fixing up the house. What happened was the demand was for, for lumber went up like crazy but mm -hmm. there was no supply. So all these mills are starting to, to, to start running. They can't keep up. And this particularly happened in the US where their mills were really slow to get started. So guess what's happening? All of our Canadian, wonderful Canadian lumber is now being shipped to the US as well, driving the price of standard framing material. We're talking like two by fours. In 2019, Shane, you can get a thousand board feet of two by fours for three hundred and seventy-two dollars. Uh, as of March twelfth, that now costs one thousand and forty dollars. It's just absolutely ridiculous. So any Canadian out there that is building a house now or doing a huge renov renovation project knows what I'm talking about because the materials have. At least doubled, in some cases tripled the cost. And now a lot of Canadians still stuck at home are now probably second guessing that renovation project that they've been thinking about, including my own parents. I had to, you know, show the numbers to them about this deck that they want to get installed in their backyard and yep. break my mom's heart. It was, it was heartbreaking for me. Talking about lumber. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because my, my son, um, has done some work for a guy who builds fences. You know, he just hauls around the lumber and, and, you know, sort of a laborer type job in regards to that. Now, I'm not quite sure that he claims he has a lot of work for the summer, but I'm not sure there's going to be a ton of work for fence building once people find out how much it's going to cost. And another thing is, um, you know, at the place in Ottawa, we, we were looking at building a deck. Uh, out the back. It's just a townhouse, but extending the deck out and it's full on hold, right? We're full stop. Um, try to find some patio stones and, and do it that way. And, and, and 
adjust the landing deck only and, and go from there because it's it's really put a freeze on most things. I can't imagine what how bad it is for anybody who was hoping to build a house. Now, if you've already locked in the price of your house, uh, that's probably a good thing because you've already you know got your deposit, you've agreed on the price, everything else from a few months ago. But it's one of the things where um, real estate market has been really, really high. Now, I don't have the numbers to back this up, but I would imagine this is why people are going to buy houses as opposed to build houses today because of this inflation uh, in in all of the wood. Is it affecting everything that you've seen, though? I mean, you've got a lot of DIY leftover scrap wood. Is it is price of scrap going up? Well, like, it's just like when you look at a two by four now, like, say, an eight foot two by four is going somewhere for like 750. So that's almost a dollar a foot. So, and, and, and a two by four is like the staple of any kind of DIY project. Like, I keep two by fours on hand just, just because, because they always come in handy. And now I look at my wood pile. By the way, if you want to see it, you can go to my website. I, I make videos of my my wood, which kind of sounds funny yeah. with that. Other. It is context, but, Danny. Context. I know, but if you want to see my lumber supply, because I have it really nicely organized, I try to keep it like a like you're at a, a at an actual shop where everything is perfectly organized, where you know where everything is, yeah, and you can see this nerdy. video. It is it is like the most precious thing I own right now because I'm looking at this wood going. You and me and the table saw, like that's th- those are my friends for for the next couple of months. Like that's how I got through last year during this time of the pandemic. And this year, you know, all of those projects that I had that involved buying lumber, like like yourself, are put on hold. I, but the scary thing, Shane, is when will it end? Nobody knows. It could still keep going up. Other materials like flooring now are also going mm-hmm. up. So this is really. There's no end in sight for for the price of lumber. Can we talk about the pallets? Because there has been some questions about pallets and treated wood um, that have yes. come up. Now, I know that you have experience around this, and we talked about it off the air, but can you share for the shift heads? Because using pallets is a great project, but you do have to know what kind of pallets and what they've been used for because of uh, uh, all kinds of contaminants and preservatives that can be put into the pallets or spilled onto pallets from what they were carrying. You know, that's right, because we're, we're talking about shipping pallets. So they're coming around and they're being used and, and being moved from different areas. The thing about pallets, and I do a lot of DIY projects with pallets. If you go to my website, if you go on social media, you'll see it. I, I have a pallet guy, like a guy who owns a business who always has to get rid of pallets, who I back my truck up and just load it up. And one thing that you'll notice on pallets is that they have a stamp on it. And what you're looking for is HT because that stands for high temperature. And what that means is that pallet went through like this oven where they just cook it. So any kind of material, any kind of contaminants, everything is burnt off. It is safe for you to use, especially if you're creating like vegetable gardens with pallets. Because the thing about pallet wood, it's just super strong. Like that is just some really good wood to work with, provided that you can take it apart and I have the best tool for that. It's called the Pallet Buster. I bought it mm. last year, Shane. It is the best design tool of all time. If you want to check it out, Handy Andy Media, go to the blog section. You'll see about pallets. I have a link there. It is the best tool. It's perfectly designed to take a pallet off in minutes. What yeah. would take like 20 minutes, you can do in five. It's kind of like a giant crowbar that looks like about three or four feet long, so you don't even have to bend over, which is yeah, no, uh, really kind of great. It, it's it's one of the best tools ever. In fact, like last year, I spent I had I just picked up so many pallets, which I'm so grateful that I did. Now, 
but I would just take them apart because you have to understand they have nails in them. So like, it's like a workshop. You take the pallets apart, then you got to get a hammer and take all the nails out and make sure that, you know, there's nothing in there, especially if you're going to be cutting it. But once you do that, you can have yourself some great lumber to create an assortment of things. You know, I've created library, little free libraries, a lot of vegetable gardens, vertical gardens, whatever your imagination can take you, you can build it with shipping pallets. Uh, it's absolutely remarkable. HandyAndyMedia.com. One question from Rob says, has your Automo chewed up any uh, chihuahuas or wayward cats? No. Now, here's another great thing. It has a sensor on it, so it can actually detect when it's coming near something and slow down. Uh, cats and dogs are really curious with it because they're, they're not threatened by it because it goes so slow, but they're very, very curious um, by just seeing it move around and, and it kind of acts like an animal in itself, but it goes so slow and it, it doesn't. The one thing it can't avoid is dog poo. So they need to get some AI into this auto mower so it can detect poo and just kind of, you know, move away from it because that is just a mess, you know, like, we need some AI in those automowers. Oh, that, maybe in the next upgrade, they, they'll have that. HandyAndyMedia.com, Andy Barrar. Uh, thanks for being here, brother, for all the insights, uh, DIY and uh, technology gadgets and so much more. Thanks, brother. My pleasure. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay? A very old, what, are you okay with made-for-TV movies? Hey. I think that they're funny, and they have some just, like, excellent caliber acting in them, usually. Oh, I watched the worst movie this weekend. That was exactly Ooh. that. What'd you watch? Uh, it, I'm going to talk to Steve Stebbing, because it seems to me that um, Prime ha has a few great movies and shows, and then it's like they went up and bought every... C D E quality Hollywood flick yes. that they could possibly get for $17. And it was absolutely dreadful. And I started to actually watch two. I thought of you guys and all the shift heads. One was Narco Hitman. And I should have known better because in the first three minutes it was the worst acting that I've ever seen. And I was like, uh oh, this is not good. And um, and then there was another one that I started watching. It was another Hitman show on Prime, and I got into it, and I was like, I can do this. I can ride it out. I want to see if there's some gold at the end of this rainbow. No, I made it seven minutes. I was like, I can't do this twice in a row. So, by the way, if you ever watch Prime and Narco Hitman comes up on your suggested uh, shows. Don't do it. Yeah, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. Anyway, um, in today's world, the made-for-TV movie is really like these long extended series on the streaming platforms. A very old and absurd made-for-TV Soviet movie has resurfaced, and Ryan says it's fantastic. A Soviet television adaptation of The Lord of the Rings, thought to have been lost to time, was rediscovered and posted on YouTube last week. Really? What? Yeah. I know what I'm watching after the show. It's insane. According to The Guardian, the 1991 made-for-TV film based on... Uh, I don't, never know how to say his name. Is it Tolkien? Tolkien. To Woo. Token. I lost it. To yeah, he got it. Token, dude. <laughs> oh, I've never had to... Uh, like, token? Like... Token. Here. Token? Token. Oh, that kind of token? No. Just to to Damn it. <laughs> yeah. 
What have you done to me? Jeez. Thanks for helping me out. It's I. It's either I you really guys read or what? No, <laughs> no I've never no. known how to say the guy's name. I just you know. Anyway, uh, according to Ryan's uh, attempt at the guy's name, the Fellowship of the Ring is the only adaptation of his Lord of the Rings trilogy believed to have been made in Mother Russia. The movie is absurd and incredible for all the wrong reasons. The Russian Lord of the Rings aired on Soviet TV ten years before Peter Jackson's adaptation was released. The costumes and sets look like they're straight out of a high school music theater. Special effects are laughable, and many of the scenes look like a bad trip. Uh, this is a little sound clip of what the adaptation sounds like. <laughs> I think that translates to I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you, Frodo. We'll take you back to the Shire where the arms of Mother Russia will reach out to keep you company. Nazdrovye. I, I, um... I think I had that keyboard in the 80s, the one that played the music there. I think that was one of the demo modes. That was awesome. Wow. According to World of Fantasy, a 1991 animated version of The Hobbit called Treasure Under the Mountain from the Soviet Union was scrapped. Well, thank you for that. You can find six minutes of this online. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. So I watched a little bit of it, and it's fantastic. The special effects are ridiculous and the ring is literally like probably just a piece of round metal that they wrapped in tin foil that they spray painted gold i'm not joking you can see the wrinkles in it it's the it's wrinkles. insanity <sighs> are you okay <laughs> do you want to say this one with your russian accent right yeah well she's born in russia so i can are you okay with Helen Mirren? <laughs> Helen Mirren? Helen. Yes. Da. Um, <laughs> da. Um, over the Easter weekend, the screen, all my Russian that I've ever learned is from the hunt for Red October. So that's it. <laughs> with Sean Connery. Da. Russian. <laughs> Air <Yeah>. quotes. <laughs> Russia via Great Scotland. Movie, Great movie. <laughs> I've learned Russian with a Scottish accent. Games. Yeah. Oh, man. Over the Easter weekend, the Screen Actors Guild Awards aired, honoring the best of the best in film and television acting. This year, it wasn't the awards making the headlines. It was the interviews. For instance, when various actors shared stories from quarantine and Mirren revealed that she chased off a bear while hunkered down in Nevada. <laughs> I got a pre. I appreciate that, by the way, the, the way that they've done a lot of these shows, I think that's way better because you hear real-life stories. Anyway, here's uh, more from Access Hollywood on the bear. You naughty bear. Go on. Go away. <laughs> and he did. Helen Mirren revealed she had an interesting encounter with a bear while living in Sierra Nevada, saying she chased the bear away. I have gotten, you know, got into nature big time. My husband and I have been living up in the Sierra Nevada and uh, Nevada. I did have a bit of a a bit of a meeting with a bear, a bear. I was so excited to see a bear. But then, of course, you know, you can't allow bears to get too 
familiar with human beings because they are wild animals. So um, I, I chased him away. Right then. Love it. I love her. I love Helen Mirren. It's badass. I, context, right? Um, during that interview, Mirren offered some advice for actors struggling to find work during the pandemic. This particular gem could apply to just about anybody. Um, be on time and don't be an a-hole. <laughs> that's great acting advice. It yes. Is. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good human advice. Just in general, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, our our conversation about uh, do you, can you get us a couple of seconds of that that um, made for TV movie the uh, oh yeah let me uh, let me throw it Lord of the, the Rings clip let me throw it into the VCR. So, <laughs> Trucker Dan says. <laughs> He says, that sounds like it should be on Pornhub, not YouTube. <laughs> so do you want to know what that sound is in the background? It's like, no, it's supposed to be, it's PG. It's like witches laughing. It's like taunting, but it definitely does not sound that way. It doesn't like, sound like they're taunting. No, it's, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like this. I love that. That's the weirdest. <laughs> oh, duh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, baby. It's a, it's a sexy show tonight. It's a really oh weird, weirdly sexy show tonight. I don't know when everyone gets up. It's spring fever here on the Easter long weekend this weekend. My goodness. Are you okay? Are you okay with learning a new language? Duh. You know, when I'm in Russia... <laughs> the language sometimes learns you. <laughs> I uh, I love. I wish I could because I love doing accents, but I I can barely speak any other languages. I'm slowly learning a bit of Spanish right now, but uh, no, I wish I could speak Russian to go with the accent. Yeah, I um, I love French as a language. I I'm a big big fan. Um. It's fantastic. It's my favorite. And in fact, I this winter I'd set the goal of doing some um some real deal French classes, but then didn't work. Such is life. Um so hopefully I'll get to it. A French speaking man from Paris was trying to immigrate to Canada. Just one problem, he failed the French exam. <laughs> uh According to the Montreal Gazette, now understand there are many different sort of dialects of French, if you will. There's the there's the franglais, right? That's a big one. Um, <clears throat> there's the Fringlish, um, and then there's the Ontario French. Then there's sort of this Ottawa. Then there's the Quebec, and then there's the old school Quebec French. And then you get into New Brunswick, where it's different again. In fact, I knew a girl who was from Quebec, like rural Quebec, and then uh, we had met someone who was from New Brunswick, and she couldn't even understand um the accent where they were from. So, wow. and that's like what, two hours apart. So a French speaking man from Paris was trying to immigrate to Canada. Just one problem. He failed the French exam. What the hey? Um, sacre bleu. Um, according to the Montreal Gazette, 39 year old Johan Flamen is a truck driver and has been speaking French for, you guessed it, his entire life. He flunked the exam in 2018. 
If I failed it when I'm French, I can understand how someone who is Mexican doesn't speak French could fail, he said in an interview on Sunday. <laughs> Where is this going? The Quebec Experience Program fast-tracks permanent residency for foreign students and workers already established in the province. He says that what tripped him up was the oral comprehension portion, which involved analyzing a recorded conversation from different points of view, including its political content. A, a Parisian French is very different from Quebecois, and it can be difficult to say uh, English words, too. Here are some Parisians trying to say a few words in English to allow some context. Hedgehog. C'est une ville, ça, je pense. Ouais. Hedgehog? Hedgehog. Hengeho. Ah, c'est facile, ça. C'est hérisson. Euh, euh, Hedgehog. Hedgehog. <laughs> On dirait que je parle. I mean, it's interesting though. I've my dad speaks for fluent French, I've grown up around French. And I don't really understand their accent compared to what how my dad speaks. Even mm. just in that video, it almost sounds mm. more German. It's 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 interesting, eh? It's I totally, totally it's not. totally different. <laughs> yeah. Um. I you know I I still I still think it's fantastic. I, I one of my best friends, uh, his name is Yves Boudreau, and uh, his mom was the coolest because she was a fr proper French teacher. And so her rule was when I was doing radio in Sudbury, was that. Just ask in French. You have to try it in French. That was her rule. So if you're at her house or at the camp or whatever, you, you had to just try it in French. She's like, I don't care if you butcher it or you get it wrong or you run out of words, but you've got to try and ask in French. That was her only rule. And then she says, I'll, and I'm going to answer and, and so on. And, uh, just as an exercise of, of trying. Uh, so that was an amazing way to learn. So if you got anyone around you that can teach you that way, that was, that's really great. That can sort of embrace you. And, um, after living in that environment, my French got a little bit better. And when I got married so many years ago, even his uh, wife, uh, Jose, they came and she had asked me um, a question. Uh, I think it was, où est les bols? Um, where are the bowls? We were in the kitchen. And we and my buddy Corey, who is uh, as not French as they come from Western Canada, he was like, what is happening in this house? So here's the thing, though, is that um, Jose's family is more a franglais area, and Eve's family is more proper because mom was a proper French teacher. So they actually had an argument about apples. How would you say, or sorry, potatoes, not apples. How would you say potato? Ryan, do you remember that? Uh, uh, well, I remember fries or, you know, these frites. Yeah. I don't remember potato. Matt, how's your French? Uh, uh, sehr schlecht. <laughs> Very good. Very bad. Um, <laughs> okay, so, uh, uh, un patat. Un patat. Un patat. Proper French would be pomme de terre. Oh. Apple of the earth. And so, here is, like, and I watched this unfold in front of me, these, these, this couple that is an amazing couple. And, <laughs> and Jose says, uh, I think she said, and, um, and, and Eve was like, what did you just say? And I was like, what is a 
potatoes. And she's like, potatoes? You don't have potatoes? And I was like, palm de terre? And he was like, palm. It turned out that it was amazing. It was like, I didn't know it was a thing. And turns out it even gets into an argument with married couples. And that's the French, the difference with the French between them. I am not qualified to talk about the French language or any good at it, by the way. Hey, look, thank you very much. Text message, palm de terre. So I think that we learned it as palm de terre in Western Canada in our French class. We didn't learn it as une patate. So, um, I don't know. I love it. I do wish that in Western Canada, um, after living in Ontario and, um, being in a relationship with a French as first language person and seeing her family and how they flip in and out of English and French and how valuable that is for kids. I do wish that it was taught more because, uh, too. the employability of somebody that is bilingual, whether it is Spanish or French and whatever, um, and English, uh, is so much higher. And let's be honest, most of us barely speak English well. <laughs> so maybe we should focus on that first. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.